The presenting sponsor of On Education is Participate. Lately, teachers from all over have been working together to find new approaches to provide quality remote education. Participate's sister company, Participate Learning, presents United We Teach, a global gathering place for educators to share distance learning resources as we navigate these strange times. For these resources and more, visit participate.com slash on education. I don't want to say we were lost. But let's just say but you were lost. But we didn't know where we where we were at. <laughs> Welcome to On Education, part of the On Podcast Media Network. My name is Mike Washburn. And I'm Glenn Irvin. Friends, we have an awesome pod for you today. We will discuss whether standardized tests are coming to an end, the end of Microsoft's streaming platform Mixer, the hype around the new Apple iOS, and our guest this week is educator Jed Derryberry. Hey, so, you know, it's funny this talk about Mixer because we've been we've both been streaming lately. Uh, (laughs) I I watched you crush Hearthstone the other day, (laughs) uh, which was very fun. Is luck. <laughs> it's, it's the swings of ups and downs of playing card games. <laughs> I, I love watching Hearthstone. I, I think it's at the high levels. That's why I talk about it all the time when we get a chance, because I, I think it's great. The The complexities of like higher level Hearthstone is pretty impressive. It's really cool stuff to watch. Yeah, there's a lots of different ways of actually being able to approach the same situation. So that that is kind of what makes it interesting. I guess there's some actual really really good hearthstone players that are also chess players mm. um that like seems profes- reasonable professional chess players and they say that the reason why they they enjoy hearthstone as far as compared to chess is that there's a lot of complexities to the same uh situations whereas mm. in chess there is some standard things that just happen plus there's rng there's just the randomness that sometimes happen, which is my favorite part of the 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 game is when random stuff goes right, <laughs> not when it goes wrong, but when it goes right. So yeah, sure, it's a, it's a fun game. Sure, uh, I've been streaming. Uh, obviously, so we've talked about. I've been streaming on the Inside Participate Twitch channel with Steve mm-hmm. Isaacs um, almost every day, twice a day um, for the better part of three months. So if you um, are looking for some really cool game-based learning, professional learning. Um, this is a cool place to go. So that's twitch.tv slash inside participate, the participate Twitch channel. Uh, and we're we're definitely working on a lot of cool stuff there. And I actually just launched this week my own personal streaming channel. Uh, put a lot of effort into it. Um, I've dabbled in streaming, but never taken it seriously. Hmm. Um, but this is this is serious now. Um Ooh. Yeah, Ticketed. and so going hardcore. Twitch, yeah, yeah, <laughs> twitch.tv slash Mr. Washburn. It's got a logo and everything. That's how you know it's serious, friends. Uh, <laughs> so uh, trying to uh, 100% achievement uh, Minecraft hardcore. That's the first goal of the stream. And then uh, hopefully build some fancy stuff at the same time. So mm. Glenn is crushing Hearthstone and... I'm going to try to not die in Minecraft. And that's that's us. <laughs> Easier uh, that's said us than streaming. done, too. <laughs> it, it's so hard. Yeah. I almost died uh, on stream 
yeah, uh, last night, um, mm. right at the start of the stream, like literally popped in, went up my stairs out of my mind, and there were two skeletons literally staring right at me. And I was like, <laughs> whoa, and uh, had to run away pretty quickly. I think I had one heart left. I was like, uh, my my hardcore Minecraft streaming career was almost over it was over before it began (laughs) two hours two hours in so but i'll tell you um um the 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 reason why i launched it when i launched it which was tuesday night so that's whatever that is the 23rd um is because minecraft was updated to 1.16 and friends this is i don't think this is a hot take i think this is legit um it is the best minecraft update that they've ever released really i hundred percent think so <laughs> what, what is it i mean it's, it's the nether it's called update the, it's called the nether update they just added a ton of content to the nether specifically okay. uh, they added a bunch of stuff but the big um shifts are what is happening in the nether so there are nether biomes now wow uh there are trees in the nether uh, which is really cool, and they're cool. very cool colored trees. Um, there, there are specific creatures. There are piglings now. There is a nether specific um, humanoid character mm. um, uh, or race or whatever you want to call them. And they, it, I, <laughs> the the funny dynamic about them is that they, um, unless you are wearing something that's gold, they will attack you. But if you are wearing something that's gold, they will not attack you. <laughs> and if you throw gold at them, as any person would like to yes. have gold thrown at them, uh, if you throw gold at the piglings, they will throw random stuff back to you. And sometimes Weird. that stuff is valuable. Hmm. So really cool. super good update. If you haven't played Minecraft in a while, you should pop in and play Minecraft. Um, the 1.16 update is on all Bedrock, all Java everywhere but education edition so lots going on there Mm. um let's let's but let's talk about mixer since we're on a gaming slash streaming little run here um mixer is done (laughs) they're toast (laughs) which is so crazy it sent like shock waves suddenly through many gaming communities and and they had spent a lot of money to prop it up I mean, they had they had basically um, paid some gigantic names in the streaming world to join yeah. Mixer to basically pull more people away from places like Twitch or whatever it might be, or or YouTube mm-hmm. or whatever it was, or Facebook, I guess, is another one. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then it was just crazy, though, that it just happened like, hey, by the way, tomorrow... <laughs> We're shutting this down, and and everything is moving. Did they move it all to Facebook streaming? Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, Facebook yeah. So gaming. they said that they're partnering with Facebook to do, to do that. They released all of their partners uh, out of their contracts, and said that they would have to sign a new contract with Facebook if they if they wanted to remain up a, a, a whatever partnership program Facebook has for streaming. Sure. Um, but this this means like someone like Ninja who went to um mixer for 25 million dollars dang that's guy's so smart (laughs) takes the money goes to mixer streams on mixer for four to five months (laughs) right still still makes tons of money on mixer in addition to the whatever millions of dollars that he he earned from them 
but then also um, gets released from his mixer contract now. They yep, had to go buy to him out. They had to buy him out, <laughs> I think, for like $20 million. And then he can literally just go back to Twitch. Yep. And start banking again. This guy's a Chuching. genius. <laughs> Tyler so, Ninja so, Blevins, you're a genius. <laughs> and then there's the other guy, Shra- I think his name is Shroud, is yes. the other guy that's the big streamer that, that just walked away with tons of money here. Not Nick, Not Ninja money. But still, like, truckloads of money. Yes, yes. From this. Um, and Mixer by Microsoft is is done. And it's funny because I thought about doing a Mixer-exclusive stream and just being, like, on Mixer, um, you know, and, you know, what a hassle that would have been. Uh, but I'll tell you, um, on a serious note about this, I I spent the better part of whatever day that was, Tuesday or Wednesday, watching streamers on mixer just basically crying mm. uh on stream they were they found out about it the same way the rest of the world found out about it on the news on polygon or on twitter or whatever wow. and then i mean but this is their business it's literally like if you owned a store and then someone just came and said your store is now closed mm-hmm. yeah it's it's and the same you yeah. have it's lost everything uh for yeah. a lot of these people and and this is how they they don't make a like relatively speaking they make me like some of these guys are making like 40 50 60 thousand dollars a year which is you know enough to live off of you know um but but certainly not like a ton of money like not everyone's making ninja money no no is, i guess what i'm not saying very rare. and so they're like you know how am i gonna pay my mortgage next month you know, I rely on my audience. And, and I'll, I'll tell you, the, the great story is I was watching this one streamer. I think his name was Lavardis. Um, and he was crying. He was flat out crying. He's like, I, this, I came here from Twitch. They brought me here. They signed me to a contract. It was not a huge financial deal like one of those other dudes. It was like, you know, they gave me a better deal on the percentage of cuts I got from my subscribers and stuff mm-hmm. like that, right? Um, I came over here. I was here for five years when everyone else was, like, saying no. Um, and now this is, I'm done. And his community that was watching him, he had about 120 viewers on his Mixer stream while he's talking. Yeah. And what happened was they all went to, so he had a Twitch account and a Twitch channel. And um, they all, all of his people that were on Mixer also went to Twitch at the same time and started subscribing to his Twitch channel while he was on Mixer. So he's sitting on Mixer, not even streaming on Twitch. So so if you don't know, you can, and he's getting subscribers and followers and people are putting, doing bits. And he he got like a, what's called a hype train. It's when, it's when a bunch of people subscribe and get bits all at the same time. And you earn a a higher percentage of the revenue during a hype train. Mm. Um, And they, they like activated a hype train and then got it to like max level. And, and he, he real, it took him a while to realize because he wasn't even looking at his Twitch. He was just talking. Um, And people are like, yo, Lavaris, go look on your Twitch channel. So he opens it up on another monitor and he starts bawling because he realized he just made like $400 that day and he wasn't even streaming on Twitch because Mm -hmm. his community stepped up for him and said, we got you. Mm -hmm. And that's like, I'll tell you, I work for a professional community building company 
And I am learning so much about community building from Twitch streamers. Mm-hmm. And like the fact that these guys, this guy wasn't even on Twitch. And these people that just watch a guy play video games, mm-hmm. they're just watching him play video games. And they they like his work. They respect him so much that they literally went to another platform and gave him money when he wasn't even on it yet. Hmm. And so now he's. It was. It was pretty awesome. It was. It was like it restored your faith in the internet a little bit, (laughs) and uh, you know that people still like um, you know that good content and um, you know meaningful fun. Um, entertaining discussion is is still something that um, can earn you a build help you build a community and earn you respect it's 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 a little bit like what we're trying to do here and it, i've i've been learning so much mm. about community building and so you know the 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 streamers that um you know were have been successful at that on mixer i think will totally be successful with that on twitch or yeah, wherever absolutely. they go yeah so sure. it's it's pretty wild um, this might be the first WWDC keynote that I didn't watch. Hmm. Um, so I actually don't know a lot about what's in the new iOS other than the widgets, which is like literally like uh, an Android ripoff. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and I found, I find that fascinating. Uh, tell us, tell, tell us what's in, what you found interesting in the iOS update. I think the biggest, I mean, there's a couple of things that are just helpful, that you're right are just ripoffs from Android kind of uh, <laughs> things that have always been on Android. Yeah. For example, if someone calls you right now, currently or before on an iPhone, it would take over the whole space of the thing instead of just like a little pop-up window that now exists. Um, I thought the there's some interesting organizational things that again, remind me of Android devices um, as far as the way that folders are being able to do all the different little widgets as far as where they exist. And then the biggest one I thought was there's a new translator application that's part of the iOS. Mm. And I'm very interested in that, in knowing how how much better it is than just a Google Translate. Mm-hmm. That I think I find fascinating as far as just pe- people being able to communicate with each other on the fly in various situations, uh, in multiple languages. I am always interested in that, as, uh, obviously. So I thought that was fascinating. There was also another one that I thought was cool because I don't know, most people out there or whatever it might be, there's always this discussion about what map software you should use when you drive. I don't mm. know if you guys have that kind of, uh, of thing. Um, and we all have a consensus at least that the worst one has always been apple maps <laughs> the default right, yeah like i use default Waze. yeah so Waze is amazing i think uh google maps is is good too i i believe yeah. you know i have that as one of the things and we've always said that apple maps is just horrible one of the, i honestly the, just want to know where the cops are <laughs> yes <laughs> true 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 but but if you ever decide to go ahead and ride your bike, Mike, actually outside, which I think one day you might be doing that, and not ride it on a specific road, what they've done with Apple Maps is they've updated it also. And I thought this was also fascinating. Not sure the application as far as school stuff, but I just think that it's interesting that they're updating all of these things to include basically bike trails and little off trails, offshoots, mm-hmm. instead of it being just exclusively to highways and roads. 
Um, I really like that as far as also um, anytime you go outside and you go hike at places. I actually found we were we were doing a hiking trail just probably about two or three weeks ago. And I don't want to say we were lost, <laughs> but let's just say but you were lost, but we didn't know where we where we were at. <laughs> I'm not going to say we were lost, but we didn't yeah. know where we were and so, we didn't know where to go. So you look at your map thing, you know, and, and we had recept. I had reception. And I'm like, wouldn't it be nice if this, if I could actually like zoom in, be able to see basically the topography of where I'm actually at and really be able to tell I'm not on a road. I'm in the middle of kind of the foresty area with the trail and know exactly, you know, kind of where this trail leads. And that's the kind of stuff that I'm really interested in seeing if that's part of this new iOS. So as far as the school stuff, I always think that anytime you have – uh, an ability to be able to have multiple things on the same screen and the more that it mimics what we can do on a on a computer on a desktop the better it's going to be so if you know if, if an ipad truly turns into what we could just do with the macbook the power of an ipad i believe as far as the creation tool is way better than than a macbook so if they can mimic each other that's always a positive. So uh, mm-hmm. that's that's what I got from the thing. And people can go check out as far as this article uh, that just gives tons of different things. But those are the things that I thought were were the most interesting is, and possibly have some implications as far as on in education. One of the one of the updates that didn't come from the iOS side was the Apple is uh, moving away from Intel chips, and I thought that was super interesting. They're going to be putting their own chips in Apple computers. Mm. And uh, the the actual like upshot of that is that you're going to potentially in a couple of years see um, see iOS apps on or sorry, you're going to yeah, you're going to see iOS apps on Apple computers. Mm. I think that, yes. that and that would be really cool as well. If they could only if they could make that screen a touch screen, uh, like if they could take a MacBook Pro and make it a touch screen, touch screen also uh, that is compatible with Apple Pencil. Oh, baby! And then and now then, you're talking. And then uh, make the the hinge uh, so it folds flat or something like that. Um, you can so see the, though that they really don't want to do that, huh? They I really mean, don't because because it's it will it might cannibalize iPad or something like that. It would it would say. basically the smushing together of those two things makes total sense, and they are getting so close to that happening. As you even describe, even the hardware now is going to be uh, possible as far as that to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, why wouldn't you do it? Well, the main reason why is money. I would say, yeah, is, yeah, they need is to you want to keep the two separate products so that <laughs> you yeah, you make people I don't buy think you can both bring them of them that close together. <laughs> that's interesting. Uh, um, that's funny. Our, our our last interesting topic um, for, for this bit here is talking about standardized tests, and and I think if I remember correctly, and someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that Ontario, the province of Ontario, has already announced that EQAO, which is the standardized tests. For grade three and grade six students in Ontario, um, are being canceled for next year. For next already. year, okay. yeah, they've already announced that EQAO EQAO will not happen next year, um, and I am like super hopeful that we've seen the end of it. 
Maybe. That's what I'm saying. That's what this article is describing, that there's this movement now away from the need to have these high stakes tests. So the movement is in various places. It's always been with educators. We've always been behind saying, this is, this is ridiculous. We shouldn't be doing this. We should be spending so much time, effort, and money, especially on these tests. But states are moving towards that and legislators are moving towards it. So there's a movement. And, um, and, and then the one part that I think is really interesting too is universities are moving away from using the test scores towards admission purposes. And if mm-hmm. that all comes together, as a, you know, I know many states are already following Ontario's lead as far as on that, where they're saying, we're not, do- we're not going to do the high stakes test next year either. We're already going to say it's not going to happen. But maybe past that, we can reform what the tests are and what they're like. And in this article, there's a section at the end where it describes basically like what would a reasonable testing system look like? And there's a lot of great ideas in here, basically talking about limiting the amounts of standardized tests. We've talked about that. There's just too many of them. Um, basically terminate the high-stake consequences of those tests. So whether it be about grade promotion or exit exams or course placement or it's on the teacher side whether they get a bonus uh whether you know how they rate districts and states and they say hey you're a a district or an f district that's just ridiculous garbage um and then also protecting the youngest kids so stop testing kids before grade three um so they have some really good ideas about how to go and reform it and at minimum it should be reformed and at the ideal would be what you're describing mike which is just Let's eliminate them and move past it and get develop a better system to track our students' growth as individuals rather than comparing them to other third graders at that level, et cetera, whatever it is, on a test that we've already said. Mm-hmm. They don't really do what they say they actually do. Um, so it's stunning to me that a teacher's compensation would be tied to Crazy. whether or not a child had a bad day. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you're a teacher in a class, I don't know how the compensation tie works, you know, if it's related to your specific class or or whatever. But I mean, if you had a couple kids that, you know, or, were, weren't feeling super well and came to school and had to take a, a standardized test that, you know, and then that they do poorly yeah. and drop, your average below a threshold where you get a certain level of compensation or not crazy, huh? I mean, how is that fair? How is that right in any way? Um, especially when we know that all that a standardized test is really testing is your ability to memorize what's going to be on the standardized test. Yes. <laughs> I mean, even my son knows that. I mean, we yep. were talking about EQAO because that's what we talk about at the Washburn dinner table is standardized <laughs> testing. Um, and my grade six son says, says, you know, all that they wanted, all, all, all that I need to do is memorize it. So what was the, you know, because he was taking, he actually said, because he's in grade six, he said, oh, I just realized I didn't have to do EQAO this year. And I said, well, we probably weren't going to, we, you can, in Ontario, you can opt out. Sure. So there's like a clause that allows parents to say, we don't want our kid to take the standardized test. Uh, So we said to him, you weren't probably going to take it anyways, because we would have probably opted you out of it. Um, And he said, and he said, yeah, because all it does is test my memory. 
And I'm like, mm-hmm. my kid gets it. I was like, hashtag proud father. <laughs> <laughs> hashtag doing it right. <laughs> they, the students know. They know what this is about. You know, it was they, great. They understand yeah, it, yes. and they know. Yeah, mm. it's worthless. I, I think that that's... Uh, so, listen, in a, in, a, in a laundry list of bad outcomes as a result of COVID, um, you know, maybe this is one of those things that turns out to be good. Yes. Um, that, that we get rid of something that isn't really doing what it's supposed to do um, and, you know, even doing what it is supposed to do pretty poorly. So um, we can hope that, that, that this is the last year of standardized testing Oh, ever. that'd be amazing. Oh, would that be, wouldn't that be something? Yeah, I would. Friends, uh, I had the um, amazing pleasure to interview Jed Derryberry uh, for the podcast. And when we come back, my conversation with him. Uh, see you soon. Go Guardian helps thousands of K-12 school districts maximize the learning potential of over 8 million students. GoGuardian's products enable productive and safe digital learning by helping educators identify learning patterns, protect students from harmful and distracting content, and support mental health. To support schools during their distance learning transition, GoGuardian is offering free access to their entire product suite until the end of the school year. To learn more about GoGuardian and download their free resources about distance learning, visit their distance learning resource center at goguardian.com slash distance learning. All right, welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Our guest this week is an educator and the co-author of The Playful Classroom, The Power of Play for All Ages. Welcome to the podcast, Jed Derryberry. Hey, I'm glad to be here. How's it going? Very, very good. I'm so excited to have you. And before we get to like a serious question, um, I wanted to tell the story of when we first met because I think it's hysterical that we're talking right now in that context. I do too. I love it. I love it. Right. Me too. And so we had a very heated disagreement on Twitter. That's how we met, arguing on Twitter, as people do. Um, and, um, And, you know... It reminds me, you know, you know, especially Glenn said to me after we had this conversation, he he was talking to me about me and my like style and the way I argue with people. And I don't take arguments personally. And I love I thrive on like the 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 debate kind of forum, the way of having a conversation where your positions are you know, not necessarily fixed, but like you can argue something passionately and still come away with it, uh, come away out of it, you know, being able to be civil and normal with people. And, you know, I would like to think that, you know, we had this like conversation and we came out of it, not just polite to each other, but I would even dare to say we're friends with each other now. I think you dare to say that correctly. I think you're absolutely right. I man, I just wish more people could talk like that. What do you, what do you think I, about you this know, sort of I, confluence I of you, events? I'll tell you, Mike. I I remember that day very well um, <laughs> because I thought I thought that I'd gotten myself into another situation last summer. I got attacked pretty brutally on Twitter for about uh, six months uh, for. Um, uh, by right-wing conservative folks. Oh, fun. Yeah, um, because, well, the tweet that I sent out had nothing to do with me being a member of the LGBTQ community. 
Sure. Um, but they interpreted it that way because I had a little rainbow flag on my profile. And yeah. so they came at me relentlessly for six months. Wow. Um, they, they came after me with death threats. Um, some fools started mailing packages to my house. Um, they sent emails to places where I had an events planned. One of them actually canceled. I lost money because of one of those people. Um, but when, when that started that day, I was like, oh, my gosh, is this happening again? And then I, I started listening to you guys, and, I, and, and, and it, was, it became more about listening than it did about arguing. I was listening to you guys, and I think y'all were listening to me, too. I think we were having some civil discussion. Um, but the power of a mediator stepped in. Our mutual friend, Mayor, <laughs> yeah. Mayor, and Mayor messaged me, and she was like, oh, he's a good guy. And I don't know if she messaged you and said the same thing. But when Mayor said that, I'll tell you, it just... It, it kind of diffused the conversation. The, the It diffused it a little bit, you know? Um, the problem with Twitter and all, the online world is that we don't know each other. Yeah. Um, we, and we don't hear tone, and we just come at each other. Um, but what I think happened with me and you that day is we we came back the next day. Sure. And we didn't, we didn't just jar. We didn't just throw our points out there and walk away or hit the block button, which, I mean, I'll tell you, sometimes I've done. Yeah. Um, because I just can't, I can't take it anymore, but you and I came back the next day and then we kept talking and what we did is we found there were way more commonalities than there were differences uh-huh. and we built, a, we moved forward with those commonalities. And I think that's what people need to do on Twitter. Um, if it's possible, yeah. now there's some things I can't come to consensus with. Like if, if you hate gay people, I'm not going to be able to come to consensus with you Yeah, because you know, that's just it. But you know, there are some things we can disagree on and move forward. There is a hundred percent. I appreciate you coming on during, you know, what are obviously incredibly tough times, you know, where we are facing multiple crises and I, I, you know, we'll get to all of the crises eventually. (laughs) It's plural now. Um, But firstly, I'd like to ask, how are you doing? How's your partner doing? How is life for you right now? Are you keeping safe? Are you keeping healthy? We are, we're doing great. We're keeping safe. We're keeping healthy. Um, we, um, we have not been going out and about, um, even though the world seems to be thinking it's okay to do that. We have chosen not Mm -hmm. to do that. Um, I have not driven after dark since March the 12th. (laughs) It is, um, June 20 something. I don't know when we're recording June 22nd at the time of recording. Um, I haven't driven after dark. Um, we do own a small little place down in Myrtle beach, South Carolina, that we have decided we are not going to be going to probably all summer, um, because the crowds down there are just too large for our comfort right now. Um, mm-hmm. Ori County where Myrtle beach is, it's actually a big hot spot of virus right here in South Carolina. Actually the whole state in South Carolina right now is out of control. We've had, um, three out of the last four days, over a thousand cases, whereas in March and April, we barely had 200 a day. And so we're definitely, um, uh, stay at home this summer, um, growing yeah. a garden in the backyard and that kind of thing. Um, in regards to the protests that have been going on lately, um, I'm very outspoken in my support of the work of the protesters. Um, but we are also, um, we we're avoiding the large crowds in, in regards to that as well. There had been huge yeah. crowds here, um, in my town. So, uh, right. Yeah, there's so many things going on in the world right now. 
there's so many things going. There's so, so much going on. Um, we didn't even. We didn't. We have not even talked about the dust cloud that's about to engulf us from the um, the Saharan dust cloud. Do you know about that? No. Oh, oh yeah. God. Look no, that up. I Look can't. That up. It's mm. not coming up your way. It's coming down here. It's a literally a big mm. dust cloud that's moved across the whole ocean off the Sahara Desert. We're supposed to have oh. um, like dust in the air Friday and Saturday. Oh, fantastic! Yeah. You know, if it wasn't enough. Killer, no murder, killer bees no murder and... hornets down here, though. No murder hornets. No, awesome. Um, let's let's talk about the book. Okay. The playful classroom. It's just come out, mm-hmm. just in the last, I guess, couple weeks. Yep. Um, tell us a little bit about the book. So the book was born um, with my friend Julie, Doctor Julie Jones. She is a full time professor at Converse College here in Spartanburg, South Carolina. At the time that we started um, dreaming up this book, I was an adjunct there, and she and I found ourselves in very similar situations professionally where we were trying to teach uh, new teachers, pre-service teachers, to be these amazing, I hate to say the word 21st century teacher because we're 21 years in, or 20 years into the 21st century, but it's true. That, at the time, that's, that was the buzzword. It's still a buzzword, I guess. And we were training teachers to be in this amazing place, and we found that not everyone was so on board with that kind of teaching. There was lots of sit-and-get um, teaching, teaching style still out there, lots of lecture-based, um, look at a PowerPoint and take notes and then regurgitate it on a test. And that if you've made the A, that meant that you knew the material and you could move on. But, Mike, you and I know, as both of us know, that we've made A's on tests that we couldn't tell you one thing that was on that test right now if we had to. Um, I, I can remember countless tests where I made an A, a perfect score. And two hours after the test, if you'd have given it to me again, I, I don't think I could have made an A. I, so, I say the same. It's funny. I say the same thing about speeches, like elementary kids doing speeches. Yeah. They, they memorize them, right? Yep, yep. Um, at least they did at my school. They yep. memorized them. and then. But, I mean, if you ask them five days later to tell you what they said in their speech, they're like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, they don't know. They memorize <laughs> the exact it. Exactly thing. right. And that's what we do for tests. And, and I think um, when, I, when I look back over my life personally, um, the things that I learned that stuck with me, I learned through playful experiences. Playful yeah. could mean recess. Playful could mean art. Playful could mean creativity. Playful could be board games. Uh, it could be all kinds of uh, – different um, experiences there there we got 16 different types of play that we mentioned in the book that we um, found research on that that we connected with but one of my favorite things in the book is we we made a chart it says things we learned from playing and some of the things that we learned from playing I'll just read some out of the book um, some of them are very basic some of them are deep like um, you learn how to make equal groups when you were playing right any mm-hmm. meeny miny mo inky pinky do you know I, I would love to get into a conversation about what Canadians say to divide people into groups because I bet we have different little rhymes and sayings. Interesting. Do you I don't say know. any, many, many, mo? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, probably. I mean, I used to do just like the top on the head one, two, three, four, yeah. one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. Well, that's but, so I basic. Mean, what about one potato, yeah, two yeah, potato? Yeah. I, I, yeah, 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 for sure. What about inky, pinky, ponky? Daddy bought a donkey? Yeah. Is that it? Okay, yes, Mike. Yes, see? yes. Okay, I love it. <laughs> Okay, we're not see we're commonalities, commonalities. So, right. um, you but you learn how to handle conflict, you know. Yeah. yeah. What if what if you're out playing backyard ball and the fight erupts? 
and there's no grown up around. You've got to figure out how to handle it. Um, mm-hmm. You learn how to be creative. Speaking of backyard ball, um, we used to play baseball, and we never once had a ball, a bat, or bases. We used a stick and a pecan or a walnut and some s- scrap cardboard that we found around the yard to be the bases. Um, you, you learn things like life isn't fair, that you're not always going to be the best. Um, sometimes you need a plan. Sometimes your plan isn't going to work. Sometimes you need a new plan. Um, and we talk about all of those. I mean, um, there's probably 50 or 60 things that we came up with that we learned from playing. And we could all instantly tell a story that connected to the, that moment. Um, and we said we've got to figure out a way to bring that kind of experience into history and math and science and social studies mm-hmm. and language arts because the learning has to stick. And uh, we just felt like a playful classroom was a place where that learning would stick. So the book was yeah. born, and, and we it took us about five years, to tell you the truth, to get it all finished up. Creating memorable moments in class. Yeah. yeah I think that that's playful. Playful experiences create memories. Mm-hmm. And, you know, not just like a regurgitation of facts. Mm-hmm. Um and and so when you create memories, you know, these are the things that kids actually will, like, take with them and recall, you know, years later, um, even that they learned because it wasn't just like this. We had to read it and write it down, like you've said, or whatever. But we we you created an experience around um, around play and around a topic that you needed to cover um, so that kids could remember it. I, I think that I think that's an awesome lesson. I really do. Um and and I love the focus on play because um I I, I don't know if you cover this in the book. I haven't had a chance to look at it yet. Um and I'd love to though. Um I I always get into this interesting conversation about structured versus unstructured play. Mm-hmm. Um and the value like because I I live in this kind of games-based learning world where I was really heavily focused on unstructured play. The idea that when you let kids experience, you know, play, they they learn a whole bunch of things just through that experience. Um, what what is your what is your uh, thoughts on this idea of unstructured play versus structured play, and the value that either of those kind of bring? Well, we actually talk about both of them in the book. Great. Um, and we, I'll tell you, we, we talked about both of them in the book because we realized that there are some teachers who are unstructured and some teachers who are structured. Sure. So we, we were trying to help create a playful classroom that any teacher could embrace. Because sure. you, know, you know there are some teachers who are by the book. Right. And, if you and, the, can, play, and the play is on rails. The, right, right. It's got to be on rails in that room. But it still can be playful learning moments, right? Yeah. I was a little more off the rails. I know you're shocked. Yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> um, but I, I was a little more off the rails. Um, you know, recess is commonly unstructured play very easily. Sure. Um, a maker space, I think, could be considered unstructured play because a lot of the times um, you might say, hey, build a robot and then go for it. You know, just yeah. here's your stuff. And there's no direction. Um, I One of my favorite things to tell people when I'm doing a workshop, um, I do lots of um, like creativity training um, with teachers, and I will give them a task and then let them go. And they'll start asking all these questions, and I won't answer their questions. I just say, figure it out. Figure it out. 
And what I'm doing is forcing them into moments of unstructured play. Um, whereas the uh, more structured teacher would answer their questions like, you know, I, the common question I get, well, um, how, like I do tape art, like creating art on the wall with tape. And they'll say, well, how big does it have to be? How many colors of tape do I have to have? Uh, and I, I'm saying, I don't care. I want yeah. to see, I'm more worried about the process, the learning that's going to come as a result. Um, and you know what? Every time when I take those restraints off, they always do above and beyond what I ever could have thought of in my brain. Um, mm. They blow me away. Uh, kids all the way up to teachers uh, who've been teaching 20, 30 years. Um, just, it's amazing what happens in those unstructured moments when the brain yeah. is forced to think in a new way. Um, really quickly, I don't want to beat this to death, but I'm doing a um, camp online right now. I'll call it Camp Sparkle. Yeah. And Sparkle stands for service, play, art, reading, kindness, leadership, and encouragement. And it's a six-week camp where we're going to encourage each one of those things over the course of the week. This week, we started play. And um, I gave them a task to create their own rock, paper, scissor game with three random items um, that they brought before. Camp, like We're meeting virtually. So I said, hey, they have this craft box. I said, pick three items out of your craft box. And they now have to come up with their own rock, paper, scissor game using those three items. Some of them have like a marker, a styrofoam tray, and a spiky ball. Well, who beats what? And I don't know. Make it up. Figure it out. You know, why Why would the marker beat the styrofoam (laughs) tray? You know, whatever. And um, I'm forcing them into some unstructured play. But is it kind of structured? See, so it's a balance. I think it's a balance. That's right. Yeah. Um. Shifting gears a little, it seems like a lot of people have just realized in the last two weeks that there's a race problem in the United States. Um, (laughs) I'm wondering about your thoughts on those who are just joining us kind of in the real world now. Um, After an initial period of indignation, um, my next thought is I'd rather them come late than not arrive at all to the to what's going on and i'm curious what you might say to those who are just starting to learn about the issues that their black peers and co-workers have been dealing with their entire lives well you know it's such a first of all i want to say um you're right better late than never um i literally just before i was on the um podcast with you, I was on a call with um, a diversity class from Holyoke. Um, and I was talking to them and there was um, some other panelists in the, in the group too. And, and one of them said, you know, if today is the day you choose to start, then by all means, welcome to the fight. And we're glad you're yeah. here. And I think we have to have that approach because if we try to shame the people, be like, where you been? I mean, I want to, I want to be like, you know, how did you how did you not know there was a race problem? Because uh, uh, and I don't I, excuse me, I don't want to say a race problem. There's a racism problem. Um, the problem the problem isn't race. It's the racism. That's the problem. Um, and I, I don't know how they didn't know other than that they were just so wrapped up in their privilege that they didn't see it um, or they don't have friends who are close enough to them who have shared it with them. Um my life, my entire life, I have been around people who, um, who are, are, have been marginalized, um, as a gay guy, 
um, I did not fit in well with the straight white heteronormative in high school. So I gravitated to people who were uh, marginalized in high school. Um, mm-hmm. in, uh, specifically in, in, in the high school band that I was in, um, when we would go on band trips or to football games or whatnot, there were four buses. The first three were always the white folk bus. The fourth bus was where all the black folks got. It was just how it worked out. Well, I always got on the black on the um, the black bus number four because that's where all my friends were, and that's the one where I felt most welcome. Even though I wasn't out as a gay man at that time, I felt like it was a safe space. Mm. Um, being around other marginalized people at in my at that still what I call my formative years helped to um, help me to understand what it meant to fight for those things, for fight for equality um, early on. Um, I saw firsthand what racism looked like when I was on that bus. Um, it was, it was not pleasant and, and I able, I was able to identify it very early on. Yeah. Um, and I realized other people didn't have that experience. So to the people who are just now here, I'm glad you're finally seeing it. Um, let's get to work. There's a lot of work to be done. Um, don't ask all your black friends to explain it to you. Um, Google <laughs> is your friend. Um, ask other white folks who have been in the work, um, to help you, but, but don't, don't, don't ask the black folks to do the work because it's not their job to, to teach you about these things. There's plenty of books out there that can, you can learn from. Interesting. And there are a lot of teachers out there with jobs in school districts Mm -hmm. (laughs) that are, you know, how do I, how do I say this less than supportive Mm -hmm. of educators with opinions on social issues. Yet we're also at a point where I think, I, I think that you and I believe, and I think you just suggested it, that everyone needs to be actively involved in the societal changes that are needed. Um, you know, we just, you just said, you know, get involved. There's lots to do. I'm wondering if you've put much thought into those teachers who fear that speaking their mind on Twitter or wherever um, will cost them their jobs and how they should move forward. I know that there are teachers listening to this that are wondering this specific thing because it's scary to them. And they've told me that, um, how do they move forward, um, in light of the fear that speaking their minds would cost them their jobs? How can they still be an ally? So, so the majority of the people that you're talking about in that, in that, in that breath, I would assume are white educators. Um, I think, I think the the black educators um, understand the importance of the fight, mm-hmm. and I think they are willing to uh, speak up. And of course, I'm not. I don't want to speak for an entire race of people. Uh, you, you clearly hear me say that. But for the white educator, and and I really I, I can't speak to the fears of black folks because I'm not black. But to the white educators and their fears, first of all, I know they're real um, because I live in the South and. I understand what that's like because I'm surrounded by it down here. Um, But what we were talking about before I got on the podcast again was that you've got to count the cost. And you've got to get to the point where the the risk is greater than the what if you don't. The risk of speaking up has got to be worth more to you. It's got to be worth it is what I'm saying to you. 
And if it's not worth it for you to speak up, then you may be part of the problem. Because what I mean by what I mean mean by saying that is make a list of the worst things that could happen. You know, what's the worst thing that could happen for you speaking up for racism? That you lose your job in a racist district that doesn't support you speaking out and using your free speech? If that's the worst thing that could happen, I, I mean, I I think we've got to get to the point, Mike, where we as a society are willing to call out racism exactly when we hear it, exactly when we're seeing it, um, and not being afraid of it. If we, if if we, if if you saw somebody about to be murdered on the street, I hope all of us would be like, "No, stop! Help! Help that person! <laughs> They're about to be murdered! Call nine one one!" If there was a fire, we would scream and shout it. We wouldn't think twice about it. Why are we afraid of calling out the racism? Hundred percent. The racism is equally threatening to our society as murder and fire and and all the it's COVID. You know. It's 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 threatening us um, as a civilized country. Um, it's ripping us apart, and the reason I think it's ripping us apart is because too many of us are silent about it. If we would if we would take the risk, you know, let's talk in, in language teachers understand. Every teacher that I know says, "Oh, we want our students to be risk takers." And what does that mean? You want them to be able to try and fail and try again. Well, I need educators to be risk takers in the anti-racism world because if you're not actively anti-racist, then you're supporting the racist every time. Mm-hmm. So you must be actively anti-racist and um, you, you've got to count the cost. Is it going to be risky? Yes. Um, a, f- a friend of mine just this past week, you probably saw the tweet. I think that's why you mentioned it, um, got chastised for saying Black Lives Matter and dismantle white supremacy on um, Twitter. Well, first of all, I'll tell you, I think that the person who called and chastised him, I think she's probably racist Um, because I know this person. I know um, some of her family. Um, The reason she didn't like that, what that person was saying was because it it was offensive to her fragility um, and she didn't like it. Um, but at the end of the day, there are black students in the school where this person works and their lives matter. And they need to know that an administrator in the building supports them and their lives and their, their work. Mm-hmm. So I, I say you, you just got to get to the point where you, it's, it's worth the risk. And for mm-hmm. me, it's worth the risk because at the end of my life, I want to know that I stood for what's right and not for, um, not living in fear of what if. And it's and it's also now standing up for what's right when it comes to the LGBTQ community as well. And you've been doing that probably your entire like I haven't known you for long, but yeah. I have little doubt that if you're outspoken now, you've been outspoken uh, well, for a, a while. But I, I would love to know. Sorry, you want to say something and I'm interested in hearing what no, you have I was, to say. Well, I was just going to tell you, you know, you'd be surprised. I, I have not been as vocal, um, my whole life. I, I did not come out until December of 2012. Um, okay. officially, I mean, anybody who knew me knew that I was gay. Um, but because I was an educator, I did not come out publicly. I did not talk about it. Um, until the 20, uh, 12, 2013 school years, actually the day after Christmas, 2012, if you wanted an exact date. Um, but the 13, 14 school year, 
um, the end of the 13 school year, I um, won uh, school level teacher of the year. And then at the beginning of 1314, I was named district teacher of the year. And so I finally thought, well, if I'm going to come out, now's the time to do it. Because if they were to fire me now because of this, which now let me just clarify, my district never once had anything negative to say about it. But because you live in the South, you it's part of a game. You play down here. Sure. Because church is not just uh, a religion down here. It is social. It is cultural. It's, it's um, an institution. It is an institution. The, yeah. Um, a pastor at the church I used to go to was the head of the school board in the same district where I worked. Yeah. Um, and so I, I was terrified to come out for a lot of reasons. Um, it wasn't because of the school district. It was because of the, the institution of it all. Um, yes. But then I thought, well, if they fire me as district teacher of the year, it's really going to look bad on them. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and when, once I came out, I, I got braver. I got a little braver and started speaking my mind. Um, I did leave the classroom. I didn't leave the district unhappy, um, but I left the regular. I said I left the I left the regular ed classroom. I'm still in the classroom with higher ed, um, but I left my second grade classroom because I found myself wanting to use my voice more, and I thought that using my voice in my um, current capacity at the time would be more of a distraction to the work than than I wanted. Hmm. So I I weighed the cost, and I took a risk. And I stepped out, and you know what? I lost some things. Um, I, I lost my students. I lost my my school life. I lost that daily routine. Um, I took another job, um, and you know, I began to find my voice there, and um, I wanted more voice. So I left that job, and now I work for myself, um, and I'm still an adjunct at a local um, university here. Um, so I do still feel the pressure of. Being mindful of what I say, but I definitely feel more free now than I ever have. Um, I'm making less money than I ever have before. But if I look <laughs> at the big picture of it all, Mike, um, when I counted the risk, this was worth it. It was worth it more for me to be able to be an advocate than it was to live in that comfort and that privilege that I had. So I had to make a decision. Yeah. And so the I my what I was gonna get to, and thanks for thanks for that. I that it's a it's a great story hearing your kind of your path mm -hmm. through through that. Um is is what's been going on uh with Nancy Joe Lambert and the TCEA. And and I think it's worth bringing up. Um and maybe you can because um, I think I think we need to talk about this, mm -hmm. I, you know, and this could hurt us as a podcast. It mm -hmm. could certainly hurt me, uh, maybe a little bit. But I think it's it's something that needs to be discussed, at least what happened and whether or not it's been resolved. Maybe um, you can kind of talk about the, what's happened a little bit because, you, you know, this story a little bit better than I do, for sure. Right. And then and then take us through what you know, because I think standing up for this is is what matters. Well, I, of course, I don't want to speak for Nancy Joe. She has no, a, of course. She has a blog, and maybe you can share that link with her list with your listeners so that she can. Yeah. You have that link. And I'm going can, to. Yeah. You have that. Yeah, I got it. Um, yeah. You know, um, so share that because nobody can tell the story like the horse's mouth, right? Yeah. So yeah. that's Nancy Joe and I. Nancy Joe and I met on Twitter. Um, we both are advocates for the LGBTQ community. Um, Nancy Joe shared a little bit about her sexuality in a presentation at TCEA. It was not um, a presentation on being LGBTQ. 
Uh, but just as if you would say, I have a husband or a wife, Nancy Joe shared some personal information about herself. Just like if I would share um, that, hey, I'm a gay man, or wear a rainbow bracelet to signify that I was part of the gay community, um, or even a shirt. Um, it was just a, a passing thought in the presentation. Um, after her presentation was finished, um, she was approached by two board members um, and told that she couldn't make those kind of statements in, um, without a warning and without um, you know, prepping people that they didn't come to hear that, that it was almost, it was like an off-color joke. She shouldn't have said it. Um, I remember the day that it happened because uh, Nancy Joe tweeted me privately. Um, she was so distraught, it tore me out of the frame that a an international organization like TCA, they have members all around the world, that, as far as I think, um, or at least their conference has people from all around the world that come there. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's a very large conference. Um, I want to say this. I don't, I don't think TCEA is, is a bad organization. I think they just have some poor leadership at this time. Um, TCEA as a whole has done a lot of, of good things for teachers. Um, I've been to the conference. I've been a presenter there um, with some other organizations that I've worked for. Um, I think it, they put on a great conference. Um, yeah. the, time, I, the time that I went, is it, it was in Austin. Is it in Austin every year? I don't think it is. I think they move around. I'm not 100% sure, but it um, has been recently for sure. But I think that um, the way that their leadership um, handled this was very poor. Because mm. here's the thing. When you do something bad, and, and it, let me even rephrase it. When you make a mistake, say you made the mistake and uh, apologize and, and work to fix it and work to move forward. And what's happened with TCA is that they, um, Nancy followed the protocols of filing the complaint and nothing was done. In fact, uh, she was told by the executive director that um, they did nothing wrong. Okay, clearly they did something wrong. Um, I will tell you behind the scenes, I don't think that it's, well, I, actually it's on Nancy, Nancy Joe's blog. Um, she did get a, um, a private email from the executive director, um, but it was not very well worded. Hmm. Um, I don't I know if it. she has got any other correspondence at this time. Um, but at this point, I think there needs to be a public um, response about their support for LGBTQ educators uh, because it did fall out into the public square. So now those of us who are in the gay community, the LGBTQ community, we we've all feel feel um, discriminated against now, and we need to hear from all of them. Um, yeah. I did not tweet them yesterday or today, but I did tweet every day last week. Um, and just because I'm not tweeting doesn't mean that I'm not still at work behind the scenes um, talking with Nancy Joe, and we're thinking about how to move forward. And hopefully, the leadership of the organization will come out and, and apologize publicly. Um, for the discriminatory practices, discriminatory practices that they have, um, and you know, just just throwing out that little, I'm sorry that they had on Twitter. That was a little, a little much for me. Uh, and they apologized for their all white panel, but they didn't apologize for their um, practices towards the LGBTQ community. So we need a little bit more. We do need a little bit more. Um, so. I was watching the news, so I, I'm I'm Canadian. Our audience knows knows this, and so 
one of the things that comes up on the podcast fairly often is kind of the pretty stark differences in culture between you know as shocking as it may sound to people there there's some pretty and you know i keep interrupting myself because i'm actually reframing it now because i think the cultural differences between canadians and americans become more and more apparent like every day yeah um especially lately um but I'm, so I'm watching the news, and I'm pretty interested in American politics. I I joke on the podcast that I I know more about American politics than most Americans. I wouldn't um, I wouldn't be surprised if you to agree with I agree <laughs> with you there. And so, you know, I saw the kind of what Donald Trump is trying to do with LGBTQ uh, folks and their health care, mm-hmm. and then I'm watching you tweet every day last week about nancy joe Mm -hmm. and i'm watching you tweet about black lives matter and i'm just i am like a white dude straight white dude from canada and i'm exhausted jed Mm i am exhausted i am so tired and not just of work and like I, I work up, but like of this, of this, like everything that's going on. I'm exhausted, man. I am in awe of you and your effort and your passion uh, in light of, you know, everything that you have to deal with as just like a human being. Um, and, um, I don't understand how you keep going sometimes, to be perfectly honest. Wow. Well, thank you for that, Mike. That's I really could hear the sincerity in your voice. And, you know, your your listeners don't I don't know if they know this, but we can see each other so I could see your sincerity. Yeah. Um, I appreciate that. Uh, I will tell you. Um, most days, Mike, I'm absolutely terrified. If you want to know the truth. If I can just be brutally honest with everybody who's listening, um, even in this moment, I'm replaying everything I've said in this podcast. Did I say a person's name I shouldn't have said? Did I did I um, talk about an organization that I shouldn't have talked about? Um, did I say the wrong word? Did I choose the wrong word? What? Where is this going to lead um, to something that's going to harm me? Um, I think about it every second of every day. Um, not only when I'm talking on a podcast, when I get ready to leave my house. Many times I look at my outfit and think, um, am I too flamboyant to go to this place today? Um, cause there's some places around town that, you know, if, if you, if you don't dress a certain way or look a certain way, or, um, for the longest time I was scared to even wear my little rainbow bracelet to, to Walmart to just be honest with you, because the, the type of people that go to Walmart here where I'm at. And now as I'm saying that, I'm like, oh, am I offending people who go to Walmart? I'm not trying to offend people to go to Walmart, but in my area, um, Walmart's not a safe place for, for me. It's just not. Um, or, well, it's safe if I wear a camo hat and some some boots and dirty myself up a little bit, like I've been working on a construction site. Um, and those may sound like stereotypes. I'm not trying to stereotype. I'm trying to tell you how I survive as a gay man surrounded by straight, white, evangelical, conservative people on a day-to-day basis. And 
what I want to say to that, you know, you said you're exhausted and it can be exhausting to think about, but I still have the privilege of being able to put on those clothes and walk into a store like Walmart and pass as a straight acting good old country boy. My black friends don't have that privilege. They can't take their skin off. So you think about how tired you are and how tired I am. Yeah. My black friends are exhausted. Yep. And they have been doing this work for centuries. For centuries. And when I see people um, get to the point of where their protest and the protest turn to beyond protest, I, I understand the mindset because when you feel backed into a corner, when you feel threatened, when you have nothing else to lose, that's what you do. Um, I, there have been a couple of times where I have been treated poorly as a gay man, where it hurts so badly that I was willing to do just about whatever it, it took to fix that. Um, one time I was at, at, at Walmart, since we're talking about Walmart, I was at Walmart and my mom and I had been Christmas shopping. And I had on a really cute outfit that day. I had on some skinny jeans. I had on some red Converse shoes. And with those red Converse shoes, I had on some green Christmas socks. Oh, on, fantastic. On top, I had on a uh, green waffle-like sweatshirt wearing oh a red puffer vest over it. Like, I was Christmas over the top, right? Red, green, red, green. And I, was, I looked so cute. And I had my hair fixed just right. We've been shopping all day. And there was one last thing I needed. Um, it was for a, a little gift bag I, I was putting together. for. A, it was actually for a student that I was sponsoring for Christmas. And he wanted some WWE wrestling men. And so I knew Walmart would have them. So we stopped by the Walmart, and I walked onto the um, the aisle there. And it had been such a great day. And out of nowhere, I heard this voice call me a fag. Somebody said, oh, there's a fag over there. And the only reason that I could think that they would say that was because I looked so damn cute, right? I mean, I was dressed to the nines, right? And you know the stereotype about gay guys, and we know how to dress, right? And then they started making sexual comments to me about, will you come do, 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 and, and making these, these aggressive like moves towards me. And I was trying to pretend like I didn't hear them and keep looking for the wrestling men. Then they came towards me, and I walked over to the next aisle, and lo and behold, the next aisle, I didn't even think about it. It was the Barbie aisle. So I went from the wrestling aisle to the Barbie aisle, and they followed me over there, and they kept kept repeating the things. So I just I just grabbed something and ran up to the cash register and checked out really quickly. Um, and when I got up there, they got they came in the line behind me, and I told the manager what would ha what was happening. The manager laughed. The manager didn't do anything. Mm. The manager didn't protect me. I ran to my car. My mom was in the car. I lost it when I got in the car. And and Mike, that's just one of hundreds of things like that have happened to me. But but again, I say if where I have a hundred things, my black friends have ten thousand things. Um, and so that um, those kind of incidents plus plus um, being around and listening, listening and internalizing the stories of other marginalized people. That, that keeps me going. Um, it keeps me pushing through the fear. Um, you know, you mentioned my Twitter. You know, every time I went at T TCEA, I was, I was afraid. I, I have a book coming out this week. 
I, I need yeah. TCA to love the book. I want them to love the book and talk about the book and, and sell the book in their bookshop, right, at the conference. Um, but in the end of the day, more than I want to sell books, I want to be true to who I am. And I realized the saying all those things on Twitter, it's going to turn off some school. There are some superintendents who were to bought my book two weeks ago, but they saw those tweets and like, we can't, we can't buy a book from him. He's too controversial. Yeah. I would rather be that kind of, te- I would rather be the controversial teacher than the number one seller of books. Yeah. So I just had to, again, count the cost. Well, Chad, I appreciate all the work that you do, all the advocacy. Um, and, you know, I am planning on reading your book and I'm excited to do that. And then, um, and then we'll share uh, links in the show notes on how people can pick that book up, uh, and they should. Um, and uh, I can't wait till the time when we can hang out in person. Um, you know, when people are allowed out of their out of their houses again. Thanks so much for joining hey, us. Thanks, Mike. I had a blast. Thanks for listening to On Education. My name is Glenn Irvin. My co-host is Mike Washburn. On Education is part of the On Podcast Media Network. You can listen to this show and many others by great educators like Monica Burns, Mike Matera, Tisha Richmond, and many more by visiting onpodcastmedia.com. Want to get in touch with us? Check out our website at oneducationpodcast.com. You can tweet us at oneducationpod. Mike is at Mr. Washburn on Twitter, and I can be found on Twitter at Irv Spanish. You can find us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash oneducationpod. We're also on Instagram at oneducationpod. If you're enjoying the show and think others would too, we would be thrilled if you shared it with them. Please leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. When you leave a rating, it gives our podcast rankings a boost. This helps others discover the show. We want to thank our presenting sponsor, Participate, for supporting us. Check out participate.com to learn more about them. Thanks as always for listening. Stay awesome and see you soon.